I started contemplating on how I could show up in this industry in a way that creates a positive impact. So that's really a catalyst for where I'm at today. But there was definitely a moment where I was like, why have I chosen this path to be part of such an exploitative industry? And I almost had like this existential crisis. And I kind of just had to take a step back and ask myself, like, how do I want to show up? And I began to explore sustainable fashion. I started learning more about it. And then I discovered that there's this community of really amazing brands that are doing impactful work while creating beautiful, timeless, high quality products. And on the consumer side, there are people who want to shop ethically made products, but have a really challenging time navigating and understanding that space because it's overwhelming for the average consumer. It's so multifaceted, there's so many layers to it, there's an overwhelming amount of information that people aren't able to consume, but they are increasingly inspired to shop from environmentally and socially conscious brands. So building a marketplace that makes it easy for people to shop with all the brands already vetted made a lot of sense. Do you know where the shirt you're wearing came from? Not the brand, the actual fabric. Do you know who constructed the shirt? And if you're a brand owner, do you truly know the conditions of the workers who you are sourcing goods from? Are they being paid fair wages? Do they have a safe environment to work in? For far too long, these questions were left not just unanswered, they weren't even being asked. But in today's world, the consumer is more aware of and cares about all aspects of their products. And they are voting with their dollars to support the brands that are doing things the right way. The problem is though, that it's often hard to know for sure which brands are true to their word. And when they say things like they're ethically sourced, fair trade, vegan, or any of the other buzzwords, is it true? That's where Misa Mumtaz Cassidy comes into the picture. Misa is the founder and CEO of Consciously, a curated marketplace made for sustainable fashion. And on this episode of Up Next in Commerce, I talked to her about how she built her marketplace, what she looks for when she invites a brand onto the platform. And she also gave some tips to sustainably minded new brands on what questions they should be asking of their supply chain partners. Enjoy the episode. quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerceinsights. That's sfdc.co slash commerceinsights, one word. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you to subscribe to our weekly e-commerce newsletter at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. It's amazing. It's great. You will learn a lot of good things. Go subscribe.
welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO of Mission.org. Today on the show, we have Misa Mumtaz Cassidy, who's a founder and CEO of Consciously. Misa, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, this is a topic that I want to talk about for a while all around sustainability. We've kind of touched on it throughout interviews here and there, but I want to hear all about what is your company and how did you get involved in it? Sure. So um, Consciously is a curated sustainable fashion marketplace that um, people are able to shop by their values on. We had our soft launch in October of last year. So um, in the thick of the pandemic, and then we did our official launch in June 2021. How we work is we source, vet, and curate brands based on their social and environmental impact. We also place a lot of priority on the quality and style of products. So we take a like highly curated approach to um, bringing on products and vendors. And um, as of right now, we're only catering to women, but hoping to expand into menswear soon. Nice. Amazing. So, I mean, what even drew you into this world? Because, I mean, there's, you know, a lot of marketplaces out there, but I haven't seen them focusing on, you know, the things that you are and kind of bringing in the brands that also have that same kind of love of making sure that, you know, things are not only sustainable, but people are being paid well. And where is it coming from? What kind of, you know, created this interest for you? Yeah, so um, I'm originally from Bangladesh, which is the world's second largest um, garment manufacturer, um, second to China. And um, it wasn't until I entered the garment manufacturing myself in Bangladesh, that industry, um, that I fully understood the, the magnitude of the systemic issues that exist within fashion. You know, the textile industry in Bangladesh remains the strongest root of our economy. About 80% of the industry is made up um, of women, which is accounts for the highest female labor participation in the country. So that's how significant that the textile industry is in Bangladesh and many other countries in Asia. You know, just the majority of my friends and family have their own garment businesses, and I've also worked in the manufacturing industry. So very familiar with the space and the, ch- the challenges that come with, with that territory. Um, so what happens is Western brands come into countries like Bangladesh to take advantage of cheap labor. It was my experience in that industry in manufacturing that really gave me a clear understanding of just how little the lives of like garment workers are valued. And so I had experiences with buyers of large fast fashion companies where, you know, they just blatantly exhibited their indifference um, in contributing to the well-being of garment workers. And there was this misalignment in, you know, like who should contribute to paying these workers a living wage. Ultimately, my belief is that it's everyone's responsibility, right? Like if you're offshoring your manufacturing, you have a responsibility to take care of the workers that are making your products. But these brands and their buyers and people I was talking to, no one felt that it was their responsibility to pay these workers a living wage. And what a living wage is in Bangladesh, it's four times what these women, four times more than what these women take home. Mm -hmm. I just left all those interactions feeling really frustrated and angry and upset. And I started contemplating on how I could show up in this industry in a way that creates a positive impact. 
Um, so that's really a catalyst for like where I'm at today. But there was definitely a moment moment where I was like, why am I in such an exploitative? Why have I chosen this path to be part of such an exploitative industry? And I almost had like this existential crisis. And I kind of just had to take a step back and ask myself, like, how do I want to show up? And I began to explore sustainable fashion. I started learning more about it. And then I discovered that there's this community of like really amazing brands that are doing impactful work while creating beautiful, timeless, high quality products. Mm -hmm. And on the consumer side, there's, there are people who want to shop ethically made products, but have a really challenging time navigating and understanding that space because it's overwhelming for the average consumer. It's so multifaceted. There's so many layers to it. There's an overwhelming amount of information that people aren't able to consume, but they are increasingly inspired to shop from environmentally and socially conscious brands. So building a marketplace that makes it easy for people to shop what, with all the brands already vetted just made a lot of sense. And so I built consciously. Love that. I mean, you can definitely see that trend now where a lot of consumers, especially over this past like two years, you can see consumers and brands starting to take a big interest in this. And I'm starting to think around like, you know, what caused this interest? Maybe people being at home, seeing kind of the stories that were happening, because it feels like there was this disconnect back in the day where you would hear about things happening in other countries really far away. And it didn't really maybe hit home as much because you couldn't actually experience it or see videos. So, I mean, just to kind of highlight what you're talking about, like, what does it look like in these factories? Like, how should people be viewing, you know, whether if a brand is thinking about trying to find a good one versus a not, like, what is it actually like behind the scenes? Because I don't know if everyone fully knows, like, you know, the severity of it. Yeah, I mean, I would recommend everyone watch The True Cost on Netflix. Mm -hmm. It's such a good documentary that goes at, into these factories and talks to workers and really takes a look at the state of the garment industry in Bangladesh. But also this doesn't apply to just Bangladesh. This applies to a lot of emerging markets and uh, third world countries. So in 2013, there was um, a catastrophic event, you know, the Rana Plaza mm -hmm. collapsed, which was this building that hosted garment manufacturing businesses. And it was prior to it collapsing, there were many moments where the workers had expressed their concerns over the safety of the business because there were cracks in the wall and there weren't safe ways to exit the building. And um, it was just horrible, horrible working conditions, like poor ventilation, all of that. But the um, higher ups kind of just totally ignored them and were like, go back into work, you know? Mm -hmm. And in this building, there were big fast fashion businesses manufacturing. And then the day after that these workers had voiced their concerns, it collapsed and over 1,100 workers died. And so that is really what grasped international attention on the state of manufacturing and the state of like fashion to the Western buyer because there's such a big disconnect unless you've been to Asia or unless you've actually visited these factories, you were, you don't know how the conditions that these women and the people are in. 
So often it can, there can be a lot of abuse. There can be like sexual abuse, physical abuse. Um, a lot of the times it's like, yeah, the garment, the people actually making the garments are women, but management are men. And then if someone expresses concern or unhappiness, they can be abused and there's no oversight. You know, a lot of the times they won't have proper ventilation. They won't have, you know, exit doors that are like, that are anywhere to be seen in the case, in case of a fire. So they get trapped and there won't be proper lighting or there'll be like, there won't be proper masks or safety equipment to protect these women from the machines or the chemicals they might be inhaling. It's yeah. And they're all like crammed in this room with no, like, no fans, no AC, they're just sweating and creating thousands and thousands of units a day. Mm -hmm. So the true cost was created as a result of the Rana Plaza collapsing. And that is really what got the world to kind of like wake up to these issues. But I still think that there's a long way to go in building empathy between the Western buyer and woman in, in a third world country who's who's making the products that the Western buyer interacts with on a everyday basis. So when you were building up consciously, I know you have the sustainability criteria, like how did you think about, you know, picking out ones that really mattered, but not making it so harsh where it's like, it'd be too hard to meet because I'm sure if yeah. you wanted it your way, it's like, here's a hundred things that, you know, you need to do to make sure it's perfect. And then no brands would be, be even be able to meet that. So like, how did you start thinking about the ones that were, you know, needed to be able to even enter your marketplace? Yeah, I mean, I just having been involved in the sustainable fashion community and learning and talking to people, I developed a general understanding of like what it is that really people view as sustainable. Of course, it's super hard for anyone, any brand or any person to be 100% sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. But there are certain criteria that brands strive to meet, you know, basic things like paying their workers a living wage Mm -hmm. or the fabrics that they're using, right? So kind of like breaking that up a little. Um, So our sustainability criteria is made up of eight values. Again, like we don't want to have like 20 values in there that like overwhelms both the brands and the customers. It's pretty simple, but it's enough to make sure that the brands we're bringing on are actually doing um, what they say they're doing, Mm -hmm. you know? And so how it works is, our brand partners have to be matched with at least um, two of our values. And of course, on top of that, we focus on beautiful elevated designs. And the values are fair trade, vegan, transparent, handwork, BIPOC owned, woman owned, small batch, and eco-friendly. Okay. Let's, un- let's unravel each one of those. I make sure I understand all of those fully. Sure. Fair trade is um, a certification Uh, that's provided by the fair trade organization. Basically they go in and they inspect factories and they make sure that there's a priority on like worker Mm well-being. That's kind of like what fair trade is, making sure the workers are getting paired up, paid a living wage, all of that. Um, And then there's vegan. So all of our vegan products, if if a brand identifies as vegan, we make sure that there's no animal or animal byproducts in their, in their items. Um, Transparent is, these brands have given us and their customers an extended understanding of their supply chain. And they share that information frequently. And, um, and it's all on their website. If you ask for documentation, they have all of that to back it up. 
um, even if it's the customer asking for it. And then there's handwork. So there's um, the whole product could have been made by hand. And then there's female owned, which is at least 51% of the um, companies owned by a woman or someone who identifies as a woman. BIPOC owned is someone who is identifies as Black, Indigenous, or a person of color. And then there's small batch. So these um, brands manufacture in small quantities. So oftentimes um, their items, their products tend to be like limited edition. Mm -hmm. And eco-friendly is um, the products that they've used are either organic, recycled, upcycled, are dead stock. So um, they're really prioritizing the, the raw materials in production. Got it. Okay. Thanks for going through yeah. those. I was like, I think I know almost all of them. <laughs> Want to make sure. So if I'm a new brand starting out today, like how should I audit my supply chain? Like the manufacturers I'm working with, like what kind of questions should I be asking? Because I don't know if everyone knows, like, what can I ask for? Can I ask for, you know, the rates that my workers are getting paid or like what things are on the table to ask and which ones might be harder to uncover? I mean, yeah, totally ask. Like you should be asking, what are the workers getting paid? And prove that to me, you know, Mm -hmm. show me pay stubs, you know, like talk to the workers one by one. Mm -hmm. It's really awesome because most of the brands unconsciously are small businesses but every single one of them knows the people who are creating the products. Mm-hmm. They know they're either frequently visiting or they do uh, FaceTimes or they visit, you know, pre-pandemic, they were visiting like once or twice a year going and, you know, really seeing how their products were being made and exactly who was making them and how they were being made. And they're like, there's all these checks and balances they have in place to make like really make sure that the workers in their supply chain are treated with respect And I would say that's definitely a common thing with all the brands we have on our platform is each and every one of them really prioritize worker well-being. So Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely ask questions like, hey, where are you sourcing your fabrics from? And how can you ensure that these are are truly dead stock? Or how can you ensure that your workers are being paid what you say they're being paid? And then you're kind of like, when you're asking questions and if they're not able to really give you an answer or it's kind of like a vague answer, you can sniff out, sniff that out. Mm-hmm. And then also if you have like um, doubts or uncertainties, ask for documentation. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that are maybe harder to get access to where you're like, I know this is an important thing, but it's hard to really uncover that. I mean, even thinking about like, where's your fabric sourced from? It seems like it could be from so many different areas. And I know yeah. there's definitely a lot of tools right now and technologies being created to be able to kind of have these digital identities on every part of the supply chain. You'll be able to see where it's coming from. You'll be able to see where mm-hmm. it ended up, which I love. But like in the meantime, like what are maybe some things that are like hard to get access to? I think it really depends on who your suppliers are, um, how much visibility they're willing to give and mm-hmm. how transparent they're willing to be. But again, I think like if a supplier isn't really true in their claims, that's when you know that they'll be more like, okay, I don't, can't really provide this to you or don't really have that information. Mm-hmm. But then that's also someone you don't really want to work with because you don't know if what they're saying is true, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're asking like where your fabric's coming from, like you should be able to give the name of that supplier and then you can look up that supplier on, on the internet or, mm-hmm. or call them. Right. So um, I guess it just really depends on how um, much information your suppliers are willing to share. 
Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. Do you see brands kind of being hesitant to start kind of diving into this wormhole, especially right now? Like all these brands are having so many issues around supply chain issues, can't get their product, like thinking about switching manufacturers, especially right now, seems like something that'd be really hard for a lot of companies to do. Are you kind of feeling any pushback on brands wanting to kind of, you know, go deep here and really start asking the hard questions? I think when you have supply chain issues, it's kind of like, abrupt and it's disruptive to your business. I think that there are certain decisions you might need to make in that point, especially if you've made commitments to your customers, because Mm -hmm. you don't want to let your customers down. Like usually you're not just working with like one supplier, right? You have like a Rolodex of suppliers. And Mm -hmm. if you're looking to like deep dive into the world of sustainability or try to um, adopt more sustainable practices, it's It's a very collaborative community. If you have other founder friends or know people in supply chains, usually people will be open to sharing their supply chain information and also providing help on how to build a more Mm -hmm. uh, ethical, sustainable supply chain. So I think always like reaching out and asking people, can you connect me to this? Or can you help me with that? Or I don't really have this figured out. Or I don't know anything about this. Because yeah. again, you can't, you don't know any, everything about everything, right? Yeah. Um, people will surprise you. At, like it's, it's especially this community, everyone is in it together. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's in the fight together. But I think um, if it's kind of like a last minute supply chain issue, like on top of that, finding a supplier who is sustainable and can meet your uh, timelines is, an added challenge. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the suppliers, you know, in other countries also kind of becoming interested in this idea of like, how do we make sure that you know, our people are paid well? Because it seems easy to be the supplier who's like, well, I'll just be, you know, the cheapest one and then everyone will come to me. And then it's like, you know, it keeps the circle going instead of being like, no, I actually want to do better, even if it means I lose some business. Like what kind of trends do you see overseas around this? I think that mainly... Um, especially in like developing countries, the priority is probably more on the environmental impact of the industry than the human impact. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there there are, of course, smaller factories, family-run factories that have, that inherently support those practices that that's like um, paying a fair living wage and all of that. Mm -hmm. And then, but I don't think that larger factories who already have contracts with large fast fashion businesses. I don't see that changing as quickly as we'd like, Mm -hmm. but I do see more conversations happening around, you know, green energy and um, all of that. So, yeah. Okay. Got it. So when thinking about, I mean, you guys are semi new, but I feel like you've had a lot of press coverage. I mean, how have you gained this attention and, you know, had brands coming your way and getting excited to be, you know, on your marketplace? How has that kind of worked? We've been fortunate enough to work with a really great PR agency over the last few months. Mm -hmm. And um, so helping working with them has obviously 
helped us reach press and media outlets and build brand awareness. Before that, it was literally me just reaching out to people. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we also work with influencers. And when we do, we ask that they share our mission with their audience and clearly tag us in all their posts and mention our brands and the products they're wearing as well from the site. So influencer marketing has worked really well for us in terms of building brand awareness. And in terms of like the brand partners that we're, um, that we bring on a lot, of, some of it is me reaching out. Some of it is them emailing us and we'll kind of like get on a call if, if I feel like there's a fit and yeah, we kind of just take it from there. How do you encourage people to tag you guys? Cause I'm thinking about, okay, I buy something from Amazon and you know, maybe it's a Nike shirt or something. I might tag Nike, probably not, but then I'm definitely not going to tag Amazon. So like, how do you encourage people to kind of make sure that you're also part of the conversation? I think when it's a smaller business, it tends to happen pretty organically. Mm -hmm. Like I would never tag. Yeah. Like, yeah, I just wouldn't do that. But like, if it's a small business that I'm like, and I love supporting small businesses and as a consumer, like I'm constantly tagging them in my uh, social media, like in my IG stories and mm-hmm. like, or I'm telling my friends about them because I'm genuinely stoked to support, especially women owned small businesses. And I think a lot of other people feel that too. So mm-hmm. it kind of happens organically, but then if we're reaching out to influencers, we do say, Hey, if you like the product and feel comfortable, please tag us. Got it. So I wanted to touch a bit on in June, I know you launched V2 of Consciously. And I wanted to hear, you know, what's different about this version? What are you testing, iterating on? Like what's happening behind the scenes there? So the June launch was actually our official launch. Um, So we brought on 10 new vendors. We're now offering up to a size 3X on the platform. Previously, we were offering up to an extra large Mm -hmm. and our website has completely revamped because our branding has changed and the current website is a reflection of that. We also need some shifts internally to be able to bring on brands and products much quicker and with no upfront costs. When we launched in October of last year, all the products that were on the site were actually carried in-house and packaged and shipped by me. Whereas now we, yeah, whereas now we primarily drop ship. And that was a very quick and expensive lesson I learned was like, do not carry inventory. Um, It's risky, it's pricey, and it's unnecessary. So in regards to aerating, um, you know, I talk to our customers a lot and basically anyone that will talk to me, I'll talk to them. Whether it's founders or people that follow us on social media, Mm -hmm. I'm constantly looking for feedback to make sure we're continuing to build in a way that actually serves people. So, and, you know, like I personally respond to every customer inquiry and email and, you know, we also frequently do polls on IG. Mm -hmm. Okay. Got it. Cool. So I want to hear more about some lessons then when, you know, to me, building a marketplace is one of the hardest businesses to build. And I mean, the drop shipping example there is a perfect lesson of like, okay, don't hold inventory. You don't have to these days. What are some other lessons maybe from building the company that, you know, you could teach others as they're going through the same journey? It's really hard. (laughs) And, you know, there's not as many people to talk to in the marketplace space as there are to, for example, in D2C, right? Like Mm -hmm. the D2C community is so tight, whereas in marketplaces are a little bit more unique. And like, of course, having a running a marketplace has its own unique challenges, right? 
And then on top of that, when you are a mission-driven company, that is another layer. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, like, you know, like the, our figuring out our tech stack, making sure that everything is synced and is syncing correctly all the time, making sure we're not like selling products. Like we've sold products that have been, that are sold out because our inventory with our vendors didn't sync, you know? So like constantly like checking to make sure like our tech is working and um, it's a lot of back and forth with our vendors too, who are like, I love my vendors and they're just like so awesome. I truly value my relationship with them. We have a close relationship where it's like anytime there's something on their end, anytime there's something on my end, we just get on a call and we're like, how do we fix this? Mm-hmm. So I, I really value that. And I think that's really special because it's like we're both businesses that are kind of so, trying to um, fight the same fight. And we're like, we're both rooting each other on constantly. It's awesome. So there's a lot of collaboration. So what are your favorite tools right now or what have been the most game-changing updates you've made that are like, ah, if only I knew this when I started. That everything is hard and (laughs) that everything requires time. Uh You have to be really patient. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, I love Klaviyo for email. I think Klaviyo is just makes it so easy to launch flows and campaigns. And then, you know, like pop-ups, like our wise, we use wise pops for our pop-up app. And we're using um, Judge Me for reviews. Mm-hmm. And then we have some SEO apps. Shippo is awesome for um, discounted shipping rates. And we've got a live chat app, which mm-hmm. is also great. It's called TDO. I don't know if I said that right. Okay. Let's just go with People it. People can look it up. <laughs> They'll figure it out. And so when thinking about, I mean, you know, as you keep saying, it's hard, it's hard. I mean, marketplace is very hard. Was there ever a point where you're like, trying to figure out, you know, chicken or the egg type problem. Like, where do I find my customers from? How do I get the brands on? Was there ever a side that you kind of struggled with more to kind of onboard? You know, with brands, with the supply side, I haven't had as many issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually, you know, we've been fortunate enough to have brands that are like really stoked to work with us. And it's like, I've not heard many no's. Mm-hmm. Um, and the no's that I have heard is because the, the brands don't have the capacity to take on a drop shipper mm-hmm. for any new business, like getting the word out is really challenging. And you're constantly trying all sorts of things to see like what will work for your business. So um, testing like copy, like testing marketing copy or testing like emails and AB testing flows or, um, you know, like seeing what works on social, like what are we posting organically that is getting a lot of engagement or what are people excited about or what types of products do people want to see on the marketplace? And also like as a bootstrapped business, like we are also limited in resources. So it's like, where are we spending our money and are we spending it in a way that is actually going to impact our business, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are we going to see results from this? And you don't really know that unless you've like tested a lot. And sometimes that can result in like money wasted, but it's still Mm -hmm. like you're, it's a learning experience, right? So, which is invaluable for us. We found that Facebook ads don't work as, as well as we had anticipated, but influencer does. Mm -hmm. So that's where we are investing more of our resources into now. Cool. That's great. Yeah, definitely. uh, The thing around the most painful and expensive experiences that maybe don't work out are the ones that you remember for the longest period of time. And you definitely won't make that mistake again. So yeah, I feel that. What are you most excited about for the next couple of years? Like, where do you want to be, you know, in 2024? 
I feel like there's so much I want to do and there's so many things I'm excited about. And it's like, we're just taking it a day at a time, but yeah. we really want to, we are going to launch menswear next year. Nice. The goal is to really be a one-stop shop for all things uh, sustainable. So um, eventually in, in a few years, we will expand into home goods mm -hmm. and beauty and um, other categories that might fit our marketplace and what our customers are looking for. Cool. That's exciting. Yeah. It'd be fun to watch your guys' growth and I'll be definitely shopping on the platform. So very, very Thanks. cool. All right. Well, let's shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask you a question and you have one minute or less to answer. Are you ready? Oh my gosh. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. What's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? Um, the nicest thing ever anyone's ever done for me is my mom is actually the invest has invested in my business wow. and she's provided the capital for Aww. me to get to where I am. So definitely super nice. That's <laughs> very nice. Go mom. Wow. Yeah. Definitely my number one cheerleader. Yeah. Aww. I love that. What's one thing you don't understand today, but you wish you did? I wish I had more of an engineer, like software engineering background. Mm-hmm. I wish I knew how to code. <laughs> yeah, me too. Maybe one day we'll get there together. <laughs> Maybe one day. What's uh, up next on your reading list? The Body Keeps Count. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's a good one. Yeah. Tell me what you think. The last one, what is the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Don't try to do it all yourself. <laughs> you will get burnt out. You'll be overwhelmed and no one can ever have all the answers. So get comfortable delegating and bringing on people who can support you and scaling your business. Well, Maisa, thanks for coming on the show, getting us to think a bit differently about how to build businesses and thinking about supply chain. I think this is a super helpful conversation. So thank you very much. And uh, until next time, where can people find out more about you and Consciously? So you can find us on Instagram. It's wearconsciously, W-E-A-R-C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S-L-Y dot co. I spelled it out because people always spell it wrong. It is a hard word to spell. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> URL is that plus dot co. So that's where you can find us. Amazing. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on and see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.